coming up this week off screen. Natalie Portman gets a gun. We get a friend request. Idris Elba celebrates Bastille Day. Jesse Eisenberg is louder than bombs. And Don Cheadle takes us miles ahead. All those to come and more off screen. This is this is off screen. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. Welcome to Offscreen, I'm Van Connor. My name is still Case Allen. Still Case Allen. So, we're going to mix it up this week, because we usually Mm. start with something big. And, we're gonna and, bring and, it down. Yeah, bring it down. Bring we're gonna, we're down. gonna layer, layer it out a little bit. There are no massive films this week, and there aren't any particularly brilliant films this week either. Oh, spoiler! If we're, <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert. There's nothing really brilliant this week, so there's gonna be a lot of judgment calling going on. I think. <laughs> so we'll start with louder than bombs. Okay. Okay. This is, yeah. uh, and this is weirdly, this is pitched as a Jesse Eisenberg film. Hmm. Like every time you see a poster, it's hey Jesse he's, Eisenberg. He's quite a big name now. He is Lex Luthor, according he, to some people. According to some people, he is Lex Luthor. Uh, well, it's not Jesse Eisenberg's film. This is more of an ensemble drama, okay. and it takes it, it centers around the Reed family. And you've got the 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 patriarch, who's played by Gabriel Byrne, last seen in the Thirty Three, playing the most Irish Chilean you've oh, yeah. ever met in your life. <laughs> oh, I forgot he was in that. <laughs> and then you've got his adult son, played by Jesse Eisenberg, who's now a, a college professor. And his teenage son, played by the brilliantly named newcomer Devon Druid. Great name. It is a great name, isn't it? If, if your name's Devon Druid, you go into acting. Yeah, like, absolutely. Quite, yeah. quite clearly. It's like Rusty Squats. You've got to go into the entertainment <laughs> industry. It was, was it Rusty Squats? It was Rusty, Rusty Squats. That was the brother, the brother of Vincent Cassell. Vincent Cassell's brother, yes. So, Devon Druid is the youngest. And basically what you've got is you've got these three men who are still, years later, coming to terms with the death of the family matriarch, who is also, as it turns out, the world's greatest photographer, according to Wikipedia. This is actually a thing they say at one point, if you look on her Wikipedia page, it says she's the world's greatest photographer, literally. There is now being an exhibition made about her life and her career, and it brings these memories to the forefront. And the family, of, uh, with the return of Jesse, Jesse Eisenberg, who's now started his own family, the return of Eisenberg, what you get is um, a sort of a, a re-establishing of the relationships between the three. Gabriel Byrne is trying to explore forming new relationships, moving on, meeting someone else, in this case, Amy Ryan. Uh, Jesse Eisenberg struggles with being a father himself, with possible infidelity, with an ex-girlfriend, and you've got Devon Druid, who, gosh darn it, just really isn't prepared for the whole coming-of-age sort of a deal. And on that note, we have a clip. Hey, come sit down. Hey, I just wanted to talk to you. Um, and I wanted to know um, if, if you ever, ever think about Mom. If you ever think about the the car accident. Why? Well, there's no story in a car accident, you know? So people people have to make one up. They have to invent something so that they have something to blame or something, you know? It's, Hello? it's very normal, but um, honestly, it was just bad luck. It's not like it was anyone's fault or anything. That is Gabriel Byrne entering behind me. Right, I thought moment. it was just someone it's not, it's not just someone walked into the, into the studio as they were recording it. <laughs> Hello, can I come in? <laughs> That has happened to me in radio broadcasts in the past. So this is the uh, the English language debut of uh, Joaquin Trier, the Norwegian director. Are you familiar with his? The not, not ones the name, I've anyway. not seen them. What was uh, offhand? Do not ask me offhand. I do not know. I, I might. I might go on his IMDb. Later. Have I still got the production notes saved on here? <clears throat> no, I do not. Those. Okay. Sorry. Never mind. Right. <clears throat> so what you've got? This is unquestionably uh, demonstrates Trier's. I keep saying von Trier when I don't mean to. He's he's not a von Trier. The film will be a lot. Thank, wackier if it were. Thank goodness for that. Uh, so this this is uh, this is a demonstration of pure artistry by an up and coming Norwegian filmmaker. This is only his third film anyway, and it's his first one in the English language. Uh, but what it shows off more than his his artistry is his level of character writing, and he co writes this with his apparently frequent collaborator Erskine Voigt, and the pair have conceived what is effectively a slow burn character drama that really wants to get under the skin of its characters and make sure that you know every nuance, every thought, every feeling. Now, the only problem with that, it's really well written, but the problem for me is it's uh, it's very much a verbal feelings film. 
It's very much a, I feel sad. Rather than just showing <laughs> us that you feel sad. <clears throat> you know, it, right. Yeah, a picture, a, picture, a picture tells a thousand words. You know, it's all I'm saying. And this it's, is, it's telling rather than showing. Yes, it's very much a telling thing. Um, I say, it, it's very much into the idea of plumbing the depths of its characters' very souls, and not so much with anything in the way of, of real story beyond that. And the problem is that slow burn never really lights up, if you know what I mean. If this were a flame, it would go out very quickly. Um, the performances, though, are terrific. And Jesse Eisenberg, this is very much his sort of hipsterish project sensibility that he does. You, know, you, you, you get it with Jesse Eisenberg. You know, these weird little indie projects that he wants to do. Because right, end of the tour, which was really good, but we didn't get it. But he's a, really into his art, really isn't he? Really nothing into, wrong and then with occasionally that. he'll do a stoner comedy. And um, then occasionally the Red Capes. Red capes are coming. Um, yeah. yeah. So it is Druid, though, who's the one to watch in okay. this. A young actor who's seemingly come out of nowhere, really, with this. Not really done anything else. Not really done anything else. And this, the least experienced cast member has just brought this incredibly <clears throat> expressive level of nuance and, and just completely expressive despair <laughs> just beyond his years too and I thought it was quite impressive it is something of a dulcet affair but it is immersive in being so so uh, swings and roundabouts really it's not if you go into an art if you're going to an art house cinema anyway and this is an option to see you'll love it if you're going to an Odeon you're probably not going to like it all, all I'm saying you get what I mean I, I get what you're saying you get what I'm I driving what at saying, yeah yeah, if if you'd ra- if you'd rather have boiled sweets whilst you watch a film, you'll probably enjoy this. If you'd rather Sometimes have nachos whilst you watch a film, <clears throat> Sometimes I take some uh, some what are they, uh, black and licorice sweets. You're going to love this those, film. Yeah, yeah you're, you're yeah. going to absolutely love this film case, then definitely. <laughs> So let's, let's see what's see what's on the the film news docket for the oh, week. Yes, then, please. ooh, we're gonna <clears throat> talk about John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein, the horrible bosses guys. Yeah, yeah. Have you heard about the new project? Well, I know they've written the new Spider-Man. They, they have written the yeah. new Spider-Man. But what um, else have they got? They've got they, they, right, they, they're not writing this one. They are producing it. Okay. It's been written by the brilliantly named up-and-coming writer Tripper Clancy. There's some great names. There week, are some people. great names out great there. Names. And uh, actually, if we do our, our shortening of name things, doesn't he become Trancy? He does become Trancy, yeah. Uh, right. Trancy Tripper Clancy has written this, and believe me, his first name is brilliantly fitting when I tell you. It's called Stuba, and it is it's about called what? It's called Stuba, and it right. is about one harrowing night in the life of an Uber driver. It is an action comedy. Tripper has written the Uber movie. Fantastic! It was only a matter of time. It was only a matter, only of, matter of, time. of time. Yeah, yeah. So they are going to oversee <clears throat> this for 20th Century Fox. Tripper Clancy is, is uh, cool. writing it. This this sounds interesting. I'm intrigued. It's got some potential. I'm intrigued yeah. by that. Um, there is also we we've known this for ages, and this is another one of those things that we've known for a while that has now been confirmed, which is Jurassic World Two. The director. Yeah, they J- have a director J- now. Uh, Bayona. When did he become J A? Because I'm sure about two weeks it ago was he was. Juan. He was Juan Antonio, Juan Antonio two weeks Bayona. ago, and yeah. now he's J.A. J.A. Bayona. Ja. Ja. Ja Bayona. He's Ja Bayona. Yeah. Ja Bayona. Ja Bayona. Have you shortened it all down? Yeah. Well, he was he was in line to do the World War Z. World he War Z, was, and then that sequel. sort of collapsed. They've released him, I think, from the contract now, so he's yeah, free. Yeah, he was in like a holding contract, and yeah, he's well, able I'm, to do this. I'm excited. So this is the guy who directed The Orphanage, doing yeah. Jurassic World 2. He also did The Impossible. Which was okay. Yeah, it was, it was he's, right. he's got a really interesting look film called A Monster Calls coming up. Yes, yeah, yes, I do know about mm. that. Uh, in the meanwhile, what well, J.J. Abrams is going to re-team with Daisy Ridley for a remake called Colma. What have we did about little small film to get about small like little indie flicks? You, that that one that day that was that was I think that was an unexpected hit, wasn't it? it no made, one expected it, much it, from it. It made a couple of hundred dollars. It, was, it did better. What was it called? The energy wakes up or something like that. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> was it? it was a film that I got on Blu-ray. Uh, two did days you get ago. that on Blu-ray yes, two days ago? Did, did you get the the light, the light side edition or the I, dark I got the side light, edition? I got the light side. My, the light side. My, my, my girlfriend was like, "Case light or dark?" And I was like, "I don't know." In a in a conflict, but I went with light. I I. I literally just got a text message that said, which version would you like? I'm like, right side, please. Yeah. But uh, I wanted the, the BB-8 steel book, but never mind. But uh, I can't find that anyway. And you can't buy the film on 3D Blu-ray. I know it's this as well. Really? You can't buy it on 3D Blu-ray. That's strange. I wouldn't have thought that. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen. The on-screen radio show. 
And we're back. So it's no way we've had like, the Jurassic Park thing after just... We should have shuffled that around a little bit and had the done. Jurassic Park news lead into that. That would have been so fitting. We are a real Mickey Mouse operation. We really are. I have, I have got a bit of film news I'm saving for a specific, a specific time stamp before a review later because is it, it a top ties gun, in. Is it a Top Gun sequel? No, no, it's no. before an actual no, review. No, no, no. But, uh, okay, if, we, if we're going to get all this done, then we should start the box office top ten oh, for the yes, week. let's and, do it. And, and let's, let's do that. Number ten. You know what that sound means. <laughs> we all know what that means. Kung Fu so, Panda 3. Have you, have you had the pleasure yet, Kung Fu Panda Yes, 3? I have, yeah. You have, you have yeah. actually seen it. So you enjoy it. Did you enjoy it? I did, yeah. Did you, that, the voice did... casting was on point, especially with the bad guy, with J.K. Simmons. Oh, J.K. I, J- yeah. The weird part is, if you don't know it's J.K. Simmons, it actually does take you a few minutes to work that one out. He is definitely going for Sinister. Especially He's... because the character physically looks like Terry Crews. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been a much, much different character if it was Terry Crews. I, I think so, definitely. Yeah. I've just realised my chair is pulling up the rug. Oh. I've been wondering what's, what's hitting me in the back of the leg. Uh, right, so um, I, I, liked a lot, I liked a lot of it. I liked uh, the, the, the father, James Hong's character. I liked Yeah, uh, he gets Brian a lot more Cranston. to do. Yeah, really yeah. good. Brian Cranston I thought was a great addition to it, and he played it really well. It's bright, it's loud, it's colourful, it's flashy, it's fun, it's frenzied. It's... A great threequel, really, for a, for a franchise I wasn't even particularly aware that I liked. Number nine. Criminal. Criminal. Well, mm. it's a criminal waste of time. Hi-oh. Swing and a miss. It's that, movie, it's that, it's that body-swapping, that brain-swapping, body-hopping movie with Ryan Reynolds. But, but not the good one, it's the other one. Um, Are you saying Selfless is a good Selfless film? Selfless is a better movie than Criminal. Comparatively, it's Comparatively, good. it is. It, 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 it's, not on its own merits. Yeah, it's like picking a favourite body wart, really. It's kind of like that. But uh, Kevin Costa does his growling thing all the way through, opens the film literally, they messed with my brain. Number eight. Ferry, or Terry, I don't really know. How to I'm, I'm taking one. that as Ferry. Should we just assume that that's a Bollywood film and that's why neither of us have heard of it? Number seven. Fan. This is a Bollywood that we've actually we've, seen. We've actually got this one in the can. So, okay, so SRK, yo. Shah Rukh Khan, amazing in this movie. I was really happy the other day when Andy Meekin, a mutual friend of ours, who's, oh, who's yeah. been on this show before, has indeed. W- was commenting like on it online, and he, said, and he referred to him as SRK. I'm like, oh, someone else knows that. That's kind of cool. <laughs> I, I, I feel like I know things now. Um, but no, I, I really had a lot of fun with it. And it seems to be, across the board, critically liked. I know yeah. Mark Kermode was a big fan of it as well. I was surprised yeah, by I, that. Yeah, I was watching his review of it, yeah. Did, I, I, I only caught the written one. I haven't done his, his actual radio one yet. Mm. But... Um, yeah, it seems to have gone down really well. And it does play its cards really, really well. It plays the action card well. It plays the weirdly goofy, dappy comedy side of itself very well. And it just goes bonkers at one point. And you kind of love it for it. It's overlong. It has an intermission, though, thankfully. But Shah Rukh Khan, as not only a sent-up version of himself, but his own younger stalker, is terrific. God bless him. Number six. The Huntsman Winter's War in 3D... Winter's Boar, yo. Winter's Boar. Yeah. And, and, oh, yes, it was Winter's Boar, very definitely. Um, well, your big added value elements are, you know, Rob Brydon and Sheridan Smith. Mm. I've heard there's a bit where Emily Blunt rides a, it's like a wolf bear hybrid. I, I think so. I think I think it's she rides like, like a, a polar bear type. Yeah. I just remember yes. watching it and thinking, this is worse than that time that Once Upon a Time <clears> did the Frozen storyline. Right. And she's I, got like the Elsa hair. She, she does, and she's okay in it. Like Emily Blunt's trying to draw something out of it, and she's the best thing in the film. Like Hansa, she yeah. and Charlize Theron are great in it. Well, we've got a really great cast of actors. It's just it's just the rest of it there. is There's awful. No and the more you think about it, the fact that Chris Hemsworth is sort of mercilessly hitting on Jessica Chastain the entire time, and Jessica Chastain is sort of mourning the loss of their marriage the whole time, it just feels weirdly uncomfortable. Which is probably the best way to describe a film which doesn't know when it started, doesn't know when it's ending, doesn't know which time period it's set in, doesn't know what its own plot is. There's a pre-credits prologue that lasts for literally the entire first act of the film, mm. and then an, a final third mm. that you're just watching in disbelief going, at what point is any kind of plot element going to be introduced? Because this seems to be a film about mo- that has more to do with hiking than the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And <laughs> no, Winter's Boar is the best way to describe it. On which note, then, should we move on to something a little bit more interesting? So Janie's got a gun. Well, not Janie. Jane's got a gun. <laughs> Jane's got. Every time, oh, I, every time I've been talking about it, people have been like, "Oh, have you seen Janie's got a gun?" Janie's got, like, got a gun. It always comes down to that scary movie. Scary movie. No, not another not team, another team not movie. Another teen movie. We- 
Chris, Chris yes, Evans. with yeah. Chris Evans and uh, Kyla Lee, who is now the uh, yeah. co-lead on Supergirl, so which is a casting direction I never saw her taking. So Jane Got a Gun, which is uh, well directed by Gavin O'Connor. Now, wasn't always, <laughs> Gavin O'Connor, who brought us Warrior, yeah. wasn't always directed by Gavin O'Connor, and it stars Natalie Portman, alongside Ewan McGregor, wasn't always <laughs> Ewan McGregor, though. It was going to be Fassbender. And Joel, and Joel Edgerton. Wasn't always Joel Edgerton, though. And this is opposite uh, Noah Emmerich. Wasn't always <laughs> Noah Emmerich, though. This is a film with so much production history it's, that... It's had some troubles. It, it, it's, it's had some troubles. So, right, basically yeah. the story is Natalie Portman... But Portman? I'm going with the, the autocorrect thing because we autocorrected it earlier <laughs> yeah. to Postman. Natalie, Natalie Portman is Jane. Imagine that. Go figure right, that okay. one, right? So she's Jane. She's like a frontier housewife. She, you know, she lives in the, <clears> the, the, the isolated, you know, little cabin house, as you do, only one way in and out of their property for deliberate reasons. She lives alone with her child, and one day her outlaw husband, played by Noah Emmerich, arrives home with eight bullets in him on the verge of death. And Natalie Portman, being Natalie Portman, decides to, you know what, I'll just take those bullets out of you, stitch you up, we'll hear you, you'll be fine. However, before he loses consciousness, he does take the time to tell her they're coming for me to finish the job. They, of course, being the Bishop Boys, a gang of outlaws led by a literally mustache twirling Ewan McGregor with the worst die job you've ever seen. Think <laughs> Travolta at can that kind of die yeah. job. And of course, well, there's only Jane to defend the family home. There's only Jane to defend her husband. There's only Jane to defend herself. So who is she to turn to? She turns, of course, to Dan Frost, an ex-lover she hasn't seen for ten years. Since, incidentally, the Bishop Boys ruined her life. So, hence the tagline mm. of the film, they ru- they destroyed her life once, they won't get a second chance. That's actually the tagline. She pays her ex-lover, played by Joel Edgerton, wasn't always Joel Edgerton, though, to come back to the family house with her, load up on guns, and and basically just say... I was trying to remember the rest of the lines to, uh, to Smells Like Teen Spirits, because once you say load up on guns... Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> load up on guns, bring your friends. That's the one. Uh, load up on guns, bring your friends, and protect the ranch. Here's a clip. War was ceaseless, you know. The smell of death everywhere. Girls I knew said they were going out west town. You weren't there. So I decided we should go. The bishops, they offer protection, but they had other intentions. The bishop was setting up a new town. What's a town without a cat house? Then, of course, you need girls. That man dying down there, one you call criminal, he was the only one who tried to stop him. He was the only one who tried to help us. Who's us, Jay? Keep saying us. Two months after you left, I found out I was with child. I named her Mary after your mother. As you do. So, this is. Let's, let's start with. There's a line in the film at one point in which uh, Natalie Portman describes her life without uh, Joel Edgerton's character. In which she describes it as life stopped being something that you live and became something you endure. And it's a very, very fitting, if somewhat overly melodramatic, description of the film. Um, because it is a film that you do feel at times that you are kind of just barreling towards the end of, and you really don't want to be. Um, what you have are two films. You have the film with Natalie Portman, Joel Edgerton, which is, as you can hear from the clip, this interesting enough two-hand former lovers reconnecting under unusual circumstances, in this case impending doom, and and basically exploring, sort of preparing the damage that they've caused each other and the absence of each other has caused. And then the other side of it is the Ewan McGregor leads a, a gang of outlaws to kill Natalie Portman story, which is... Far, far less interesting. And back in actually, when uh, the the Hugh McGregor character that was originally Jude Law. Yes, that was. was Jude Law, yeah. and so who, who was Fassbender? Was he Fassbender? Be was Dan Joel... Frost? Oh right, yeah. So, Joel so Edgerton's the idea yeah. was that that Jude Law was <clears throat> the villain. Jude yeah. Law then left the project. And Joel Edgerton stepped in. At this point, Michael Fassbender is playing the ex-lover. And then the director quits on the first day of filming, Lynn Ramsey, who made uh, We Need to Talk About Kevin. Yeah. And uh, in, as a result, Fassbender, oh, Fassbender had a scheduled clash with X-Men Days of Future Past. So Joel Edgerton gets swapped from the villain role to the good guy role. That that just shows you how long this film has been in production. He, yes. he was clashing with X Men: Days of Future Past, not Apocalypse with Days, Days of Future Past. Past. So that tells you how long this has been going exactly, on. Exactly, some years. I'd say yeah. we'll never ever know why 
uh, Lynn Ramsey actually quit this film literally on the first day. It wasn't first day. I remember hearing about it. It was on the first day. She simply didn't show up. That's how the story goes. Now, no one knows why. No one has commented on why. And obviously, Jude Law quit as a result of that. Mm. What is evident, however, is that the film never recovered from it. And you can tell this all the way through because the focus has been on making the actual <clears> film rather than, for instance, writing it. Yeah. And you have those two stories, one of which is vastly more interesting than the other. And, of course, the, the less interesting of the two constantly encroaches on the mm. more interesting. And it's a crying shame because there is a good film within there. It's a really as, good filmmaker as well. Gavin, Gavin O'Connor is a good And director. that's it. He brings some genuine energy to it. He, it's not flashy but it does have just a little bit of panache mm. a little bit of it, it's not like when Sam Raimi tried to do Quick and the Dead and it just went a little bonkers a little too quickly and then you had Russell Crowe with his silly accent I, and I still love that film though it is the unappreciated DiCaprio gem, isn't it? it is, yeah <laughs> I think we, do we all, don't we all just refer to it as the Sharon Stone Western now though? Um, yeah I guess. Right. So, I mean, as far as things that don't work goes, Edgerton is, uh, he, he does fairly well with what he's got. It's yet another movie star role for an actor who clearly just doesn't have any movie star charisma. That much is evident. Because I, I don't get Do this. With, I, no, Joel Edgerton is not a movie star. I just don't think he's been, he's been given something good yet. I think that's what it is. He needs, really? He needs some really materials. But the yes, Pharaoh definitely. role in the Moses story, that's not a good enough role for, a, for what should that be a movie star. That material is terrible. Right, right. Christian Bale couldn't make that work. <laughs> well, he didn't get the he didn't get the "let my people go" moment. That's what it was. He needed to growl. Hey, that that film was facing an uphill battle. Yeah, yeah, yeah there is that. Uh, in the meanwhile, though, you, you have Natalie Portman, who Natalie Portman is is you know on the the just. She has to be acknowledged the single great thing about the film. She is the part that works flawlessly. She's great in it. However, again, on the writing front, it does feel a little bit like they've just taken a stock girl Western character mm. and just bumped her up to the forefront. Rather than actually writing a, a, a well-conceived, character. articulated character, what they've done instead is just come up with a stock character. And you know what? We'll get Portman to do it. And that, that kind of fills in the gaps yeah. for us. Like, that puts that puts the toad in the yeah. dino DNA. Because then on the poster you could put Oscar winner. Yeah, exactly. And then you've got Ewan McGregor, who is just hilariously <laughs> bad in this. Ewan McGregor. Does he twirl his moustache at one point? It's like, yeah. I, I, at one point he does literally <laughs> twirl his moustache. Um, he just... Him even being there just feels like an afterthought. And it's it's not a real character. It's not there's no actual menace to his villain whatsoever. He's just this sort of badly dyed Muppet who turns up it's literally John Travolta at can. Anyway, (laughs) that's gonna be the example I keep using for this. But it doesn't quite escape this messy stitched together, we've had production problems image. And, and you feel that what's well, image feeling, and you get that all the way through. Um, it's not boring or anything like that. I think fans of westerns will will enjoy it. The problem is this is coming at the end of eighteen months that gave us Slow West and Slow West. What's it on Bone Tomahawk? So oh, once you've had I love Slow Bone Tomahawk. exactly, you you give me Slow West and Bone Tomahawk in a double bill, and I'm you know I'll be your friend for life. You give me this as the third one of those. Not, not quite. I, you're going to have let the side down tremendously. It's like being given two amazing steaks and a pot noodle. It doesn't quite work. Steak flavored pot noodle. <laughs> Steak flavored yeah. pot noodle. Exactly. <laughs> After the dizzying heights of Slow Slow West and, and Bone Tomahawk, Slow West, incidentally starring Michael Fassbender. Which yeah. he filmed six months after walking from this, if you're keeping track. He just really wanted to do a Western. He, he really wanted to do a Western. I'm yeah. convinced. He just like, oh, I've quit that one. I'm but glad that he chose that one. There's, there's another one opening, starting up in, in half a year. We'll do that. Yeah, okay, yeah, cool. And yeah, you want this film, particularly with its brilliantly schlocky title, to bring something unique to the table. And the problem is, what it brings instead is a mess. With the latest film news and reviews... This is Offscreen. And we're back to the sound. Is it Harold Faltermeyer does that theme originally? Yes, it is. I, I do yeah. love me a bit of, bit of Faltermeyer. Didn't he do Beverly Hills Cop as well? What, the Axel F? The Axel F. Yeah, I, yeah, think, yeah, so, I yeah. think it was him. So on to, on then to something far less fun, which is <laughs> Friend Request, which is uh, written, well, co-written and directed by Simon Verhoeven. Uh, no relation to... 
Paul. Oh, I checked. I was... did check. No relation to Robocop. <laughs> you you just saw my eyebrows go up. Then. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I think the best way to describe the plot of, of uh, a friend request is is simply to use the song by Knife Party. I wasn't aware of this, but we're going to use it anyway. So here's the plot of friend request. You blocked me on Facebook, and now you're going to die. Now, the film is far less fun than that jaunty little bit of music. I was waiting for the drop, and then it just, it just ended. <laughs> I'm not giving you the no drop. drop. No, you don't get the drop. <laughs> so what you have here is it starts out with uh, Alicia Debney Carey, is, uh, she, who looks, incidentally, like a dime store version of Vera Farmida. Okay. Really does. Yeah. Um, and so she is, you know, they're all college-age kids, close-knit group of friends. They tag each other in everything imaginable. If they go to the bathroom, they, they photograph the results and put it on Instagram and, and tag each other in them because that's apparently what the young people that's do. What happens, yeah. That's what happens. So one day she meets the class weirdo uh, called Marina. Uh, who is this sort of pale-faced, sort of emo-y, hood-up at all times, outcast, bit of a recluse type, right. has no friends on her Facebook feed. And is this just that episode of South Park? I was just going to say, it is exactly like that episode it? of yeah. South Park. It, and I thought this for about 20 minutes during the film. Now, I'm going I'm to give you exactly why it was only 20 minutes yeah. after the clip. But basically, so our our lead uh, befriends this this would-be lunatic, as mm. it were, and, and that's it. She turns out to be a lunatic. And with her only one Facebook friend, she then starts to effectively cyber-stalk her. She's like endlessly messaging her, and mm. we see the messages on her Facebook time... Well, it's not called Facebook, sorry. There's never a name given to the social network feed. Bookface. Bookface. I thought Facebook with a PH. But, <laughs> like, like fat with a PH. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and so eventually she is unfriended, as it were, and immediately then proceeds to take her own life, as you do. And uh, one by one, this close-knit group of friends are then picked off one at, one at a time by an unseen force which seems to manifest itself through screen glitches and technological quirks, little service faults here, there, and everywhere, and then you die. And I should point out as well that Every single one of this group of friends looks like a cost-effective 20-year-old version of a 15-year-older TV actor. So, for instance, you have a plump Josh Radner, you have a poor man's Eliza Coop, you have an MTV2-inspired Freddie Prinze Jr., and, of course, you have, like, a 20-year-old Australian Vera Farmida. Mm. MTV2 isn't even a thing. Is that not even a thing? That shows you how old I am. I have not heard of Knife Party, and I didn't know that MTV2 was not a thing. (laughs) Anyway, here's a clip. So according to you, Ms. Woodson, this video just magically appeared on your timeline this morning. Do I have that right? Why would I do this? There must be some reason this girl burned that picture of you. Look, Laura, we know that you're a great student, but multiple students reported you harassing Marina. No. She was the one harassing me. She was obsessed with me. Laura, no one's saying it's your fault that Marina took her life. We're looking into everything. But in the meantime, Laura, if you can't delete that video, you're going to have to delete your profile. Not the that's, profile! That's worse than death, isn't it? It really, is, it really is if you're 20 years old, apparently. Yeah. So, right, so obviously, you and, you and I have similar standards of sort of what I would describe as our mindless entertainment. You know, like the uh, TV yeah, shows yeah, we watch. Yeah, yeah. So, you, you and I know equally well that between US network TV at the moment and the proliferation of streaming services such as Amazon Prime, Netflix, etc., it's not been a great time recently for the old fashioned teen horror movie. Not especially. Not no. really. I mean, if, if we really are, it's the highest profile example recently has probably been Ouija. Ouija, Ouija, whatever you want to call it. That's going back some time. That, well. That's going back about 18 months. Yeah, We've got Ouija 2 this Halloween. So, yeah. And was that Olivia Cook in Ouija? I can remember. What, from me and me and I, I think really? it was. I think that was her, yes. Anyway, so, you basically, if you want a good old-fashioned teen horror movie, nowadays you have to really go to either Netflix and find something that just got shunted direct to VOD, mm. or you go and you watch things like Scream Queens or Slasher or even a TV remaking of Scream, which is actually a thing now. Mm. That's the stage we're, the stage we're at. And the problem with this is, it, for one thing, it's so half-hearted, it's so phoned in. Yeah. But it's done so with this level of effort which indicates that about every third of the film, about a third of the way through each each venture, they would then try and retool the plot to become something else. So initially it starts out as what seems like single white Facebook. Single white female with Facebook. It starts out kind of like that. You think, okay, yeah, I can get on board with that because you never get teen thrillers anymore. That's not a thing. 
That, that, that's they, what, they died in like the late nineties. They did. Yeah. They they died when Sherry Appleby started trying to do them in, oh, yeah. in, in the early two thousands when <laughs> Roswell cast members couldn't get a gig gig doing them. You knew the game was up. And it's, it then becomes a standard super supernatural slasher movie because, mm. and, and it, believe me, it feels constantly like they've gone with the supernatural idea purely because they couldn't be bothered to look up how computers work. And this comes up an awful lot in the film. There's a, a great bit involving coding that will have you in hysterics if you've ever tried to work out how any of the stuff works. Mm. And then you've got a final third, which is just lifted straight out of the ring. I was going to say, it does, does sound quite yeah, similar the, the Ring is the final yeah. third, because right. it really just revisits all of that. It then just limps to a conclusion with this half-hearted, we'll, you know, we'll leave it with one of those slightly ominous sort of, we could do a sequel if we yeah, wanted to, it's a bit vague, and we yeah. probably will, but you'll only see it on disc, sort of an affair. Um, it's a film that genuinely reminds you that the height of the teen slasher genre for the last 15 years is deservedly the Final Destination franchise, because that at least had some glee to it all. This mm. is somber and self-important, despite being completely idiotic. It has a bunch of cast members. You won't, you won't recognise a single one of them. They're all phoning it in. The dialogue's atrocious. They don't do much with it to, to liven it up any yeah. further. Mm. And... Put it this way, there is a moment in which one of the characters, <laughs> the poor man's Eliza Cooper, as I'm calling her, um, instructs the uh, instructs the main girl to unfriend this dead bitch. <laughs> and you're just like, that was the that was the. Uh, I've not seen a trailer for this, but I just know that that's the trailer that's line. The trailer that line. is the trailer Absolutely. line right there, mm. and it's also the best line you've got in this <laughs> entire film. It's, I mean, the idea that the horror genre used to be the proving ground for up-and-coming directors, uh, Simon Verhoeven has kind of proven that that really isn't the case. Even for, like, some actors as well. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, no, it's a friend request you would decline. It is a friend request you would block <clears throat> entirely so that you were never bothered again. Yeah. If you want to see a decent teen, teen horror tale, just go to television. Just go and watch American go Horror Story, scream. A Scream, oh, or... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Slasher is the new one. Uh, things like I've, I've, I've not, I've not had the pleasure yeah. yet. Apparently, it's an anthology series. Well, so, aren't they all? Aren't they now? all? Ryan but, Murphy. Uh, <laughs> damn you, Ryan Murphy. Why can't we have a Nip Tuck revival, Rai Rai? Why not? Why not? Come on. Make it happen. So, should we just uh, do film news for us? A little bit. A um, little bit. We're not going to get three Avatar sequels anymore? We're going to get 67. That wouldn't surprise me. We're actually getting four. Yeah. Uh, and he's, he's going to film them all back to back. Yeah, so. apparently so. And they'll all be standalones, but they'll all work together. Kind of, they'll, they'll all work to make what? a collective saga. And you're How like, can we be standalones and sequels? that doesn't work, James? No. I, I don't think he James made Cameron. Terminator. Come on, that's actually this. I, I think James Cameron has lost perspective. In t- let's not forget, James Cameron had his name put on the poster for Terminator Genesis, hyping it. Yeah, we did. Yeah, let's never forget. Wasn't that. he hyping the last one as well? No, it's just Genesis. That's the only one he's done. And oh, sorry, I'm getting coffee. I thought you meant he was hyping the third one, which he which he was. Oh, he did hype the third one slightly. He yeah, the third that's one why I handed it over because it was and in good Terminator Genesis. Yeah, yeah, Genesis. But uh, yeah. Oh, it, meanwhile, this is this is one you got to wonder how this never happened before. Apparently, the live action rights to Pokemon have finally gone on sale. There is a bidding war emerging. Apparently, legendary are at the front of the queue. Really? <laughs> well, cause they're, they're big in they're big in Asia now. Legendary. You know they merged with that Chinese company. Yeah, they are big in Japan. They're big in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> they're big in China specifically, but apparently pushing into Japan as well. Yeah. And uh, well, imagine that a live action Pokemon movie with CG characters that could that could happen. After Jungle Book, I, anything can happen, really. On which note, actually, speaking of that, we should, mm. we should actually launch into the rest of the top ten. Oh, yes. Number five. Eddie the Eagle. Eddie the Eagle, which is it's disposable gumph, really, isn't it? It's, it's <laughs> gumph. Disposable gumph. It's cool runnings with a Forest bit of... gumph. Bit of kitchen sink charm, yes, yeah. Forrest Gump. In fact, yes, that actually does equate Forrest Gump at times. Gump. He has something of a Forrest Gumpian edge to it. But, uh, you know, Hugh Jackman's likeable. Taron Egerton is goofy and charming in his own little way. Dexter Fletcher has some flair to it all. You'll laugh. Really, do you need to do much more? Number four. <laughs> 
much rather to wait for all of the toilet to be yes, fully flushed. Yes, it's, it's the best way. Uh, Batman v Superman, Yawn of Justice. So what you have is apparently a movie in which Superman evidently has 43 lines of dialogue. Yeah, somebody has watched it and so, counted all the Someone's counted yeah. on Reddit, of all things, and it's directed by the smash mouth of cinematic film, uh, cinematic uh, auteurs, uh, effectively, uh, effectively Guy Fieri with a copy of Final Cut Pro, and what you have is the douchebaggiest, dullest affair imaginable, which, frankly, <laughs> I will pay money to never have to see again. I thought it was abysmal. Number three. Eye in the Sky. Eye in the Sky, which is an Entertainment One release, and so we've not seen it. Number two. Try everything. Uh, Zootropolis, <laughs> which I love, but I don't want to hear that song anymore. No, you're going to hear it. You're going to hear it every time I can rig it up. I mean, it's 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 still at number two. It's not going anywhere. It's not going fast, anywhere, and I think it's so much fun. I yeah. think it has its heart in the right place. It is rivaled for the best family and best family feature of the year, and it's rivaled, of course, with well, what else could it possibly be? Number one. Oh man, this is really living. The Jungle Book. <laughs> the Jungle Book, which apparently made all the money. It did, yeah. Got greenlit for a sequel before it even got out the gate. Got its director and writer to come back. Its writer, of course, Justin Marks, writer of 2009 Street Fighter, The Legend of Chun-Li. Who does Never an ama- forget. Never forget. Who does an amazing <laughs> job here. <laughs> That's only disappointed me because I really wanted The Legend of Chun-Li to be good. Yeah, um, and it, it wasn't. It had potential. But this is fantastic. This is excellent. It does. It is. It is excellent, and I, I love the cast. I love the design of it. I think it's just a wonderful, wonderful family film, mm. and I can't say enough nice things about it. I really can't. It made me laugh. It gave me tears. It gave me frights. It gave me chills. It is really scary. In parts, it is. Isn't you it? were a big fan, weren't you? I really, really was. Yeah, I, I actually sent you a message. You did just after watching. I was like, "This is amazing." Yeah, you never got back to me though when I asked. Did I? Did I undersell it then? Or <laughs> no, you didn't at no, all. Didn't. Completely on the money. No, I thought I, I really liked Bill Murray. It's funny how many people actually have said it is the best performance Bill Murray's given in years. For a long time, yeah, it is. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. And we're back and dancing. No, for reals. Whenever we play that, we're actually... Every we, single we week, don't even, yeah. We don't speak, actually. We just start disco dancing. There's a reason why this is just like a podcast and on radio and not filmed. Yeah, there's, we, there's a reason we, we, we don't do live. Yeah, we don't live stream. We don't periscope for that reason because we have families and we don't wish to embarrass them. <laughs> uh, so before we get to a Bastille Day, there's a bit of film news I want to drop in. Okay, uh, which is you, you will you will you will know this because this involves someone that we both uh, feel very deeply about, which is Mr. Jason Statham, oh, who has landed. Snake. He's landed the greatest job in the world. Jason Statham is going to fight a giant shark. He is going to play the lead in Meg, which is Warner Brothers' giant shark yeah. movie, which is currently and currently gearing up for production. It was going to it was going to be directed by Eli Roth, and then he he dropped out. It's now going to be filmed by John, John Turtletop, and it's based on a twenty year old book to which there are five sequels and a reboot uh, pre- prequel origin story. That's so the, the entire franchise has been mapped out on this one. So you know what, Warner Brothers, everything's sorted <laughs> for you. Don't worry about what about Batman, Superman, DC. Scrap yeah, all that it's all now. Forgiven. Forget it. Just, just cancel Wonder Woman, Justice League, all that nonsense. Let's just concentrate on Jason Statham versus a giant shark. The only thing that make this news much better would be if it was Chav Chavos versus the shark. <gasps> oh man! Like he gets eaten Mash by up. the shark and then spits out, <laughs> yeah. spat out, and he just yeah, keeps going. Yeah, yeah Chav Chavos. Yeah, that would, that would that would work. Yeah, we can't say the famous Chav Chavos quote, can we? No, we can't. <laughs> Maybe in the podcast <laughs> extras. Um, so the reason this is important, though, and it is actually actually academically important as far as Jason Statham as a work of cinema goes because <clears throat> nobody's ever described Statham exactly. as a work but of cinema but this represents the first time that Jason Statham has been cast as the lead in a proper Temple A vehicle that's a good point actually it, and he's been in A films because Fast and Furious however That's that fine. started out as a B picture that then through the magic of its own franchise became an A franchise hmm. Spy is an A picture but he's, he's a effectively supporter. a B character in it so this Expendables is, as well <clears throat> it's an ensemble cast well, exactly but also Expendables is kind of a B picture as well I guess so. Yeah, it's, it's, not really. It's intent, a, yeah. yeah, no, no studio is hanging its entire summer on the success of the Expendables. No. So this is it. We have Jason Statham in an A role in an A project for an A studio. This is something impressive, which of course brings us on to Bastille Day, in which 
Idris Elba, whom I think most of us, using conventional wisdom, had pegged to be the Denzel of the action genre by now, um, gets a B picture, despite the fact that surely this man is waiting for an A picture now. Really? Uh, we, we're still here. We're still at he's the. He's got A pictures. He's. Has he, though? Has he? I guess he's not being a proper leader. He's not had an A picture, really. And he's a B character in Thor. That's true. He is. And he's a B character in Pacific Rim, even though he has the best name. Exactly. Um, uh, Pacific Rim's kind of a B picture, though, in a strange way. And that, that studio was not... Warner Brothers were not hanging there somewhere on, on Pacific Rim. It is a blockbuster. <clears throat> it is a blockbuster. Yeah. Um, but no, you look at the bulk of the films that he gets off, and it's like, no good deed. And and what's that one where he's... Zootropolis, ma- Jungle Book. <laughs> the animated features, the animated man. Ones, yeah. What's that one where he's married to Beyonce and Ali Lata decides she likes that's, him? That's No Good Deed. Oh, no, is, is No Good Deed the... Uh... No Good Deed is the one with the Taraji home, P. Home, Henson. Home Intruder yeah, one. that one. Yeah. What is the one with... What is the one? With, with Bay. What's, the, what, what's what Queen with... Bay. Oh. Yeah. Oh, Talk man. about film, I'll go on IMDb. Yeah, okay, there we are. So, Bastille Day, in which Idris Elba plays CIA agent Sean Bridger, an American agent working in Paris, who happens to step in and investigate when a bombing takes place in Paris. Yes, I know this was delayed for a reason. A bombing <laughs> in Paris, it accidentally frames an American pickpocket, because apparently most of the population of Paris are American. An American pickpocket, played by Richard Madden, who, yes, is British, and the pair are forced to team up so that they can go and track down the bombers who spoiler alert are actually the only French characters in the movie and and save the city under siege here's a clip so what you CIA you got a name Briar that first to last it's the only one you're gonna get city's under threat we need to find that bomber girl you're gonna identify her look I'm just a thief who stole a bag just take me in and charge me and we'll straighten this out not gonna happen Want another red dot on your chest? I'm not a terrorist. Hey, you stole a bag, you left it there in the mouth. We got a job to do. This is crazy. I don't work for the CIA. What you do today? So yeah, this this sadly, despite being called oh, it's called Obsessed, was it that film? Mm. Uh, okay, there's another one that, that I keep getting confused with that one. Anyway, um. <clears throat> So, despite being called Bastille Day, this is nothing to do with New Year's Eve, Valentine's Day, or the upcoming Mother's Day sort of mini franchise of rom coms. Yeah. Although, which is a bit of a shame, really. Yeah, a French themed, a French themed one of those would be hilarious. Yeah. And also, I think Idris Elba would do very well in that. I'm sure he would. <laughs> he would. I could see Idris Elba in a rom com. Why not? Anyway, he should he should be the added value element for Think Like a Man Three. Anyway. <laughs> So, what you've got here is a film that it's not a million miles away, a million miles removed from From Paris with Love. Do you remember that? I do. Yeah. Two thousand nine Pierre Morel movie that had John Travolta. Yeah, John Travolta sporting his "I'm roughing it up to Cannes this year" look, (laughs) and teaming up with Jonathan Rhys Meyers to stop a terrorist in Paris. And what you have here is the same exact setup, really, (laughs) down to the fact that one of them is a government agent. This has a a little bit more blood in its veins. And it does try to, to muster up a little bit more in the way of energy, but it's so VOD, so DTV, so destined for the disc, that you just can't quite muster up any real energy. And do you know who's directed it? No, I don't. James Watkins, who brought us The Woman in Black. Uh, I, did, I didn't enjoy really, it. Really? That's the that's thing. No, but you remember how well put together visually The Woman in Black was. This, mm. no, not, not so I much. I guess that's some, some kind of visual flair. So. Exactly. And then you've got the fact that, despite the fact that it was delayed, it, it was only delayed two months. It was delayed, obviously, in the wake of the Paris yeah, attacks. Now, those two months have not softened it at all as regards quite how uncomfortable it all feels. And it really does. You do find yourself, what do you think, can, can we say that now? Is is that okay? Is that acceptable? Um, you've then got the inescapable reality that this is a film set in Paris consisting largely of American characters, all of them played by British actors. So what you wind up with is what I refer to as reverse Van Dyking, and in which you just have the worst transatlantic drawls you, you can imagine. I mean, what's her name? Uh, Kelly Riley, I want to say? Yeah. Yeah, Kelly yeah. Riley in particular, no. And watching Idris Elba, who who I've seen on The Wire. I know he can do an American accent. He's, he's Stringer Bell. I don't know yeah. how he's as bad as he is in this. <clears throat> that said, though, accents aside, both he and Richard Madden are perfectly fine. Like Richard Madden, you know, gives us a, a dash of that sort of lovable rogue charm he brought to Cinderella. Mm. Just a little bit. 
the film doesn't allow him, you know, to run with it. And you've got Idris Elba, who's as at home as he's ever been, doing the whole, I'm slick and elegant, but a badass kind of a routine. And that's the problem, though, is outside of those two, all the characters are really forgettable, copy-and-paste villains. And nothing about it works. Nothing at all. I say, they try to put some energy into it, Half the time you're left there thinking, this reminds me of that, that Jean-Claude Van Damme, Dennis Rodman movie, Double Team. Which I used is, to love that film when I was a kid. Did, did, you, did you ever realise how yeah. inappropriate that title actually is? Oh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's terrible. Yeah. It really is terrible. Really inappropriate. But, uh, yeah, it's 92 minutes long. It drags like you wouldn't believe. It features the greatest threat I have ever heard a villain give in a movie, which is, send out the final hashtag. And uh, and then it ends with I mean and I'll give it points for this it gets points for this because I've said for years right. Will Smith needs to get into this game again, which is the movie ends and up starts this dancey pop song with these <clears throat> god awful just adorably crap visual uh, 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 vocals adorably right, crap yeah. vocals and you can't help but wonder who who's doing that. Oh dear lord, it's Idris Elba. It's, it's your man Driss. It, it's your man Driss. Yeah. And yeah, it's the most adorably crap closing song you've heard to a movie since the words deepest, bluest, my head is like a shark's fin. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've got some high hopes for Will Smith and Suicide Squad, but it ends and we've got a Suicide Squad rap. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping. Yeah. Will Smith needs to get back into that game very, totally, very yeah. badly. So, either way, I, I think we can safely say that uh, it's not our film of the week. I think no, film of the no week... Go. I think film of the week. <laughs> reluctantly, I'm going to have to give it to Jane Got a Gun. Right. Wow. Really this reluctantly. It's been a poor week, isn't it? It has been a poor week. Um, I mean, obviously on the podcast extras, we've got Miles Ahead to review as well. Um, Miles Ahead is not film of the week either. It has its own issues. I think in terms of what a mainstream audience is going to sit and enjoy, I think it is uh, Jane's got Jane Got a Gun, not Janie's Got a Gun. Notably, Jane Got a Gun. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I would go with that. The cast are quite likable. Natalie Portman, good enough. Mm. I mean, Hugh McGregor's terrible, but there's someone terrible in every film this week. Yeah, there is. That's a good point. There is. There. Yeah. So next week we've got some interesting ones. You're gonna like this. We have, yeah. Yes. So next week we've got Jake Gyllenhaal in Demolition, mm. which did not go down well when it opened at what festival. Was it last year? Did it do. Did one of the festivals last year and got terrible like, reviews. I think it might have been like Toronto or something. Possibly something like that. I think it was Toronto, actually. Mm. Uh, we've also got God's Not Dead 2, which means I finally have <laughs> to watch... That's got Sabrina in it. Yeah, yeah, I have to finally watch God's Not Dead 1 now. Oh, yeah, you don't want to be behind on the plot for that one. Exactly. Yeah. We've got Heaven Knows What. We've got the big screen debut of Ratchet and Clank next week. Mm. And, of course, there is this little movie in which uh, two heroic comic book figures um, team up uh, to fight on a for two and a half hours on the big screen, and a whole franchise hangs in the balance. Is that a Batman v Superman? Are we releasing it? No, this one's actually going to be good. It's uh, it's Captain America: Civil War. Yes, can't, can't wait. Cannot wait for that. Cannot wait. <laughs> so we've got all that to come and more next week off screen. Uh, this has been the Candy Store production for On Screen. I've been Van Connor. I've been Case Allen. And we'll be back next week. Just show me the way to get out of here, and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Off Screen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. Okay, Podcast extras, then, Mr. Allen. So we, we have got another review to do. We've got loads of film news to cover. Um, I just realised I've had all the film news on a piece of paper this entire time. I've never even thought to look at it. I've been using the computer. But uh, <laughs> so you've been trying to move on this new digital world. About yeah, us. I know. I'm, I'm terrible. Good, good old paper. Uh, so let's talk, let's talk the biggest piece of film news this week, and this is going to be unrivaled as far as you know. This is going to change your cinematic world. Director John M. Chu is going to return for Now You See Me 3. Boom. <laughs> Cinematic world just exploded. Mike dropped. Yeah. Boom. The, the director of Justin Bieber, Never Say Never. Yeah. <laughs> you know, every time I every time I go to say the name of that film, I always say, accidentally at first, I always say, Never Say Never Again. Of course, yeah. Um, I used to do that. Yeah. yeah. Damn you, Connor. Not when I talk about that film a lot or anything. No, no. no. It's not something that ever really comes up. No. But did John M. Chu direct... Gem and the Holograms. Yes, he did. Oh, God, John. I know. Really? He did G.I. Joe Retaliation? He did G.I. Joe Retaliation. What an eclectic filmography he has. He really does, yeah. yeah. Speaking of eclectic filmography, uh, Channing Tatum, Kingsman 2? Yeah. That's that, that's going to be an interesting one. That's good news, I like that. And this one, this one I love, we talked about this before the show, Michael Keaton. Yeah. 
is is in talks for a villain role in Spider-Man: Homecoming. Yes. Please let this be the Vulture. Well, it's been rumored to be Vulture. I, I it'd, it'd be amazing. Do you know who it'd I'd actually like to see as a Spider-Man villain in one of these films, though? Well, as as a character, as a character, not not yet. I'd like uh, to see the character. Craven. No, no, I don't. And I never cared about Craven. I'd like to see Craven. No, Craven. I'm not even particularly enamoured with the Vulture, to be honest. It's like, yeah, okay, cool, but if it's not Ben but Kingsley... Vul- Vulture know. with with Keaton would be good. Yeah. Which, be- which character do you want to see? I want to see Mysterio. I'd like to see Mysterio. Really I badly. I don't know how they'd do it in a grounded way. Right? I, I don't know, um. but it's, it's for that same reason that I always wanted <clears throat> Christopher Nolan to do the Riddler, but do him as like a Saw-style yeah. serial killer. I thought oh, that would God, be... A, yeah. Played by Edward Norton. I thought it would be amazing. <laughs> Come on, you can you can that's, picture that. You can picture it, can't you? I can picture it. Yeah, you really can. Okay, so um, oh, we, the new Transformers go. We never got to discuss this. <laughs> no, we didn't talk about it last week. Did we? No. we didn't know because it was the day after it. Yeah, it, it broke. So the new yeah. Transformers girl is a fourteen-year-old Nickelodeon actress named Isabella Mona, uh, who's from the series One Hundred Things to Do Before High School. I think something like that. Um, but what I can't escape is after the last movie and certain. Completely inappropriate jokes that got made about underage girls. In the, were they jokes? Were they were they jokes? His entire me? career was a joke. But some things that were said and included as a work of narrative mm. in the last Transformers movie. So then you are, of course, referring to the now famous Romeo and Juliet clause. Yes, the Romeo yeah. and Juliet clause, which, which allows people that are underage to. Yeah, yeah. I, I do find myself wondering how the writers of a Transformers movie. Took it upon themselves to learn that information. Is it a real thing? I don't. I don't or know. Or they just made it up? <clears throat> have they made? Is it just wishful thinking on their part? I don't. I don't know. That's just it, a of a It's kind plot. of terrifying, isn't it? It is. Uh, yeah. And now, of course, we have a young girl who's going to be teaming up with uh, Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, um, Marky Mark's back. Yeah, Marky Mark. Your that's, boy, Marky Mark. That's something. Yeah, yeah. Cade. Cade Yeager. <laughs> I'm an inventor. My name's Cade Yeager. No, you're not. No, you're not. No, I want to see him do up. some inventing. He did some inventing in the last Yeah, movie. but I want to see his inventions. Didn't he invent a robot dog? Did he? What, like a canine? I think he did. I think he invented thing. a robot like a robot dog in the last movie. That's adorable. Yeah, he did. I want, I want to see him invent some kind of amazing thing that actually helps with Transformers. <laughs> That's one I want to see. So, uh, speaking of amazing, <clears throat> the Despicable Me villain has been cast. Yeah, And it is South Park's Trey Parker. I never thought I'd be excited for a Despicable Me film. Uh, are, you, are you actually now excited? Is this, is this, well, what, like, is this what it takes? I, it takes Trey Parker <laughs> and old Matt Stone, yeah. That's fair enough, then. Yes, I am excited. And he's going to play a former 80s TV star who is still obsessed with his former character yeah. who takes on Gru and the Minions. They have now released a picture of him and he's got this amazing like shoulder-padded turquoise leather jacket oh, and he's got a, like, a pink keytar. Oh, well. this this sounds amazing. It's great, yeah. Uh, see, I love the Despicable Me movies. I know you don't. I don't, but... yeah. So, Kevin Smith is uh, having issues with the MPAA again. Really? Yeah. Oh, is this a thing about yoga hoses? So yoga hoses, which I didn't realise is meant to be a family-friendly horror film in the vein of Gremlins or something like that. That's, that's what he's pitching it as. Yeah. And this stars, of course, his daughter, Harley Quinn Smith. And Johnny Depp's daughter. Who's Lily, Lily Rose Depp? Yes. Lily Rose Depp. And, and the pair of them <clears throat> go on a little family-friendly horror adventure, as it were. And, and wouldn't you believe it? They're, they're convenience store clerks. No way. It, yes. Back uh, to the well. Back to the well. And, and especially back to the well, considering it's been rated an R as well, apparently due to a crudely drawn set of genitals on the front of a textbook. And he now yeah. has to appeal for the fourth time in his career. He is going to appeal against the MPAA and get, and get them to overturn their rating. Right. So in, in terms of language, it's not as fruity as what it usually is. Mm, it's not quite as saucy as I do know that the is. bad guys in this are uh, what can only be described as Nazi hot dogs. Nazi hot dogs. With Kevin Smith's face. Yeah. That is... That and, is insane. I, I understand he's, he's done it all very kind of tongue-in-cheek and he's not taking... Yeah. So let's look at miles ahead then, which we didn't get time to review in the in in the show proper. And uh, you you've been quite excited about this, haven't you? Yeah, well, I'm quite a big fan of Miles Davis and also Don Cheadle. You, you're a fan of Miles Davis. You're a bit of a fan of, uh, yeah. of improvisational jazz, are you? Who would have thought it? I know, case yeah. I wouldn't have suspected an imp- for an a imp- second. An improvised, um, yeah, I can't talk today. Yeah, improvised jazz. <laughs> yeah, a fan of improvised jazz. Okay. I'm bass playing. So, rather than a straight biopic, in fact, the poster literally says, a biopic with a little improvisation. 
Yeah. And you think, okay, that's kind of clever. You watch the film. It isn't your standard biopic. It is, it's designed to play as if it's glitchy and faulty and, you know, as if it's come from vinyl and not digital, if you know what I mean. And it opens with Don Cheadle as uh, later years Miles Davis talking to camera, being interviewed by, off screen by uh, Ewan McGregor. And what we get then is the bulk of the story takes place in, I think it's, I think it's the late 80s, early 80s. It's in the 80s. <coughs> When Miles Davis is on something of a five-year break, it seems. He has disappeared. He's done some session recordings. Um, Columbia want his session tape. He's holding it back from them, but they are demanding to be able to put something out. Uh, in the meanwhile, uh, we meet, we're also introduced to Hugh McGregor's character, who is a uh, Rolling Stone uh, writer, who wants to basically chronicle the comeback, having heard it through the grapevine that this is going to happen. Uh, Cheadle's Miles Davis, though, wants nothing but that. He just wants his downtime. As he puts it, I've spent years... Is making you a fortune. Can I not just have a little time off? And of course, his time spent with Ewan McGregor's character uh, basically provides well, the pair of them with an insight into just roughly how messed up their respective lives are. Davies in particular is quite drug-addled, high-strung, paranoid, hostile, and Ewan McGregor tries to bring him effectively back into the light. We have a clip. So, studied piano too, huh? Just woke up black, knew how to play. You're black? Is it cool? Go ahead. Francis loves Chopin. Yeah, she looks like a classic chick. It's all we ever play at the house, you know, classical music. Chopin, Stravinsky. You know, we throw on some Ravel. I studied all them cats, man. Broke down their compositions. These revolutionaries, innovators, pushing back at that standard classical bag. Chopin. It's all about improvisation. Really got the voice, hasn't he? Yeah. And that's it. There is an element to it where, again, with these, we had this with Get On Up, where you do think it could become an impersonation so easily. Um, however, Cheadle, well, Cheadle's quite invested in it. I mean, he's, he's directed it, he's co-written it, he's produced it. Mm-hmm. And you, you kind of feel like this is the trade-off for all the Marvel stuff and House of Lies. Yeah, this is why he has those jobs, purely to fund this. Because yeah. this has been a long time coming as well. Yeah. And, and then it seems to have sort of sprung upon us overnight. We've had the first trailer of the stills, everything, all within a couple of months, really. Um, What you have is a film which is a passion project and unfortunately does feel like a passion project. Now, you you in particular, you are a jazz fan. Mm. I I don't mind jazz. I wouldn't describe myself as a big fan. I feel like this would work better for you than me. It is... Mm. Aimed, well, I th- is, is it because I have more of like an appreciation, or I know more about jazz? I, or I think it is. I think it's more of a highbrow appreciation than anything else. But also, right. the film itself is more of an introspective drama than a biopic. Yeah. Now, I'm more geared towards a biopic than an introspective <laughs> drama. drama. You seem to work the opposite way. Um, <clears throat> Ewan McGregor does a fair enough job in it. However, he is only really required to play Ewan McGregor. Uh, so, not really much of a stretch there. Um, there are a couple of flourishes. Michael Stuhlbarg gets to do a bit of 80s sleaze. When's that not fun? I didn't even know if Michael Stuhlbarg Michael was Stuhlbarg's in there. So in there. I'm definitely going to see it now. Of course you are. A yeah. bit of 80s sleaze. But it is all about Cheadle. And Cheadle's presence is felt even in the rare fleeting moments that he's off screen. Um, it's just that you do feel Cheadle might be too invested in it. That he's, he's gone out of his way to make a film to basically answer criticisms that get on up was too cartoony mm. that he wanted that that ray was too mainstream that that yeah you know what i mean that 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 walk of the line was aimed too much at the popcorn crowd and this feels like it's trying to be the antithesis of all those and the problem is it feels so dedicated to that idea that it never really forms much of an identity for itself it it just feels like it actually just feels like that 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 dead space between tracks on a vinyl when you just sit and have a cigarette. It feels like that all the way through. And the fact that Cheadle's as good as he is in it kind of feels unfair. You kind of wish yeah, someone else had made the film and they just allowed him to just just explore this character that he's clearly enjoying so well. And that feels like a waste to me. And oh, don't get me wrong, there's some fantastic music in it. You, you, only an idiot would yeah. not enjoy the score in this. 
but it is one for the aficionados, I would say. I like Don Cheadle in it very much. I even like Ewan McGregor in it. I particularly like Michael Stolberg in it. <laughs> However, I do feel it's it's one for the diehard fans only. It's and it's I'd say even then it's it's one that I think people are gonna take issue with because it doesn't subsequently explore the career of Miles Davis. It doesn't explore no. the legacy of it Miles Davis. It only focuses Davis. on quite a small sort of snapshot. It just yeah. seems to focus on one particularly dodgy weekend. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Which is a shame, because th- th- there is a lot of potential in it, and you have that really terrific central performance. And hey, Don Cheadle can direct a film. He really can. He can. Yeah. But uh, So we've got a couple of bits to, to finish us up today. So okay. oh, Mark Rylance, remember him? Yeah, he's now the world's greatest actor, isn't he? Apparently he's the world's greatest actor. He's also mm. the BFG. He's now, though, going to join Ready Player One. Wow. So another Spielberg film. That I feel like I could have third. put money on that. I feel like it. Yeah, yeah. I, sh- I should have done He's in everything, though, because he's got Dunkirk as well, hasn't he? The Nolan one. Yeah, but I think he's only going to be quite a minor part of Supporting that. character in yeah. that. But well, yeah, he is Steven Spielberg's BFF now, isn't he? He is, yeah, yeah. BFG they they are bros. Yeah. Well, and of course, the, the big news, and this happened uh, last night, I believe. This is, Willem Dafoe yeah. has signed on, not, unfortunately, to a, a Boondock Saints threequel. So, sorry about that. Um, <laughs> he is, however, going to revisit the comic book movie genre mm. with a new role in Justice League. Oh, no. Well, that just Again, all killed, <laughs> killed all my enthusiasm right there. But we don't know who he's going to play. We don't. We don't. He is going to be a good guy. He yes. is going to be in Justice League Part 1 and Justice League Part 2. So you figure quite a big role. He, I'm thinking that. And I'm really hoping he's the Martian Manhunter. Really hoping. Jean Jones, played by Willem Dafoe. Yeah. With just like, you know, just that, that sort of light green face that he has and the, the red eyes. Could I see that? I could see it, yeah. Like no hair or very little. Yeah, I could, I could see it. With the, with the cloak. You know, the sticky up neck cloak. With the like Doctor Strange style. Exactly, yeah. 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 It, it could work. I mean, at least there's something There's something to look forward to in Justice League now. As long now. as he's not like a senator or something <laughs> like that. Just, you, know. <laughs> you say that. I mean, I, I still maintain that uh, Willem Dafoe is underappreciated as a villain in Triple X2 State of the Union. Sorry, it's Triple X State of the Union, Triple X2 the next level. Sorry. Despite your good review about that film, I've still not seen Have it. Have you still not seen You've Triple X? You've told me to see that many times as well. Because I maintain it is actually a better film than the first one. It's not as much fun. I don't. But it I is don't a better it, film. But I will. I will one. go back to your comment you said earlier when you were like, "It's like picking your favourite body warts." Touche, sir. Touche. Okay, you know what? On, on, on that now, we, we can wrap that up now that you like you've offended my very sensibility <laughs> with your own joke. Using using my own, hoisted by my own petard, yeah. as it were, destroyed <laughs> by my own witticisms. So, on that note, here it is: your moment of cage. Look, cop car. Uh huh. Long as I'm in here, you're just gonna sit out there, aren't ya? Aight.